1: Alright, 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 Cal fans. That's a new intro right there, Rob. We are back. Depressingly back. I don't know why all of y'all want to talk about this UW game. And I'm I'm definitely perplexed. I was there. I lived it. I know so many of you did too. It was actually pretty fun. But of course, you're listening to The Bearcast, a proud partner of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Andy, co host here alongside me, as always, Rob, live from Emeryville. What's cracking? I don't know. Some people have said that us as fans
2: shouldn't be doing these types of podcasts. I don't know where I stand on this.
1: I know Who's exactly where I stand on this. Who's saying who? Who's some people. It's it's something Dr- that's Draymond. It's no,
2: <laughs> Draymond has his own. He's a part of the media. He's a podcaster. There's a there's a podcaster like that said some things last early, late last week and got a lot of flack for it. Um, and they like they like singled out Blue Wire Podcast Network like in their like rant about. How like you know fans who have no connection to the media and like are podcasting and and speaking their voice on it and it's like it, it dilutes like some of the real journalism work that happens. Um, so it was just it was just a weird end to the week, and then of course Saturday was even weirder. So yeah, but it was it was funny to see all the replies to that tweet um, just because. There was a bunch of Blue Wire Podcast Network hosts all in the replies, um, helping each other out, and it's like the, we're like that's not the point
1: of why we podcast. Um, well, so I'm trying not to react to things, you know, so quickly and take time to observe them, and so I would love to understand the broader point there. But there's a couple of areas that I think I would like to refute. This is this idea of journalism like i would highly question what what they mean by journalism there's nobody that i see that goes and consumes more content about cal football than the right for california crew period full stop i promise you yeah jeff ferrato two times in two weeks baby jeff shouting you out on the pod Jeff does not engage in as much Cal content as the Ray right for California guys. Full stop. I would bet a car on it. Not my car, but I would bet a car. Some random person's car. It might be a nice one. It might not be. Depends who drives it by. That, and I think so. When you look at, let's say, like a formal media member, even someone like, I don't know, what are you going to call it? The AP? Yeah. What is the AP's perspective going to be on Cal football? Are they going to be looking at two-by-twos and where Cal defense sits (laughs) and doing analysis? Like, no. What I think the misunderstanding there is this concept of media or journalism somehow not being this, not being the fact that like we're in the press box, that we have, not me, but you have built relationships with, the SIDs and you know, we have the ability of going in and sitting in on a Wilcox uh, conference on a Tuesday. There's, and so that's the idea that I think I look at and say, you know, I, and I don't know if they're saying specific to a podcast, but like the podcast was the tie through our podcast was the tie through. Yeah. I mean, they were talking and between,
2: they were talking specifically about the warriors
1: um, in that specific incident. Oh, Best of the best too. Yeah. Gosh, that they're so good. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, those. I know that. uh, Was it Andy Lou? Yeah, Andy and Sam. And Sam are yeah. Sam. uh, Esfin Yeah, we don't want to put your last
0: name. (laughs) That's why I just. Um,
1: Yeah, they're two of the most revered people on the Warriors in general. Yep. And like. And so, like, what do you, do you want to hear from Tim Kawakami, who's, like, always angry and yelling at his Twitter followers? That's who you want to hear from? Because Tim has written for the Mercury News before? Like, people actually read the Mercury News? Like, come on. Like, and, and, <laughs> what if Tim actually listens <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, but, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. they've lost this... You, you get so wrapped up in the titles of things that it just to me people lose this what 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 do you what actually matters does it matter the title or does it matter the effort yeah does it matter the understanding or is it just matter that you know i'm associated with the athletic yeah is that my credential now so if i'm associated with the athletic i'm somehow superior to somebody else despite the fact that that other person might invest 20 times the amount of time in the subject matter that would be the area where i would push back heavily yeah, I think I mean I wrote in the comments
2: in that for that tweet and I was just like, you know, like we don't we don't act like we have insider information. Granted, sometimes we do come across insider information because just of the nature of what we do and you know, just you know, we gain a little bit of popularity within this specific fandom that grants us like some relationships that we build either via social media or like in person. And, you know, they happen to share things with us. We don't usually share all of that um, on the air or any of those insights. Like, you know, one of the big things is, like, we get access to, like, you know, like the Football 101 thing that you and I went to a few years back. I know Christopher and Peter went to the one that happened this past off Um So, yeah, we don't claim to have information. We don't claim to be, like, dropping woge bombs on Cal Athletics, like, left and right. Like, that's not why people listen to us. That's I hope that's not why people listen to us. I think for us, our thing was we're trying to build a community that helps people process Cal Athletics as we process it. And thankfully, there's a group of people out there that listen to how we process it and, and appreciate how we process it. And also, like, we try to build a community that allows you to be able to interact with us and build those relationships via social media or our email account or, you know, meeting us in person to be able to say, like, this is my take on it and we share it on the air. We acknowledge it. And, uh, you know, sometimes we say we think that's wrong, but we acknowledge that everyone has a specific way that they understand the sport, the team, the program in which they love. And for you and I, this is the way we process it, is by talking through it, like, and recording it, and just putting it up on the internet. And thankfully, you know, about 300 people a week listen to us. So, you know, that's, that's our small little sphere that we've happened to grow. And I'm, I'm happy for, you know, I'm happy for it to stay where it is. I'm happy for it to grow smaller. I'm happy for it to grow bigger. Like regardless, like it's just, it's the community that we've built and the people that we've like made friends along the way. Um, but just, you know, all the Twitter questions that we're going to talk about today are people that we've interacted with for years. And I think that's honestly why we continue to do this. Um, and that's like the most important ethos of even right for California was the the community building aspect of
1: it. That's somehow they missed that. <laughs> Some, somehow. I mean, I I'm going to guess that this was probably a tweet. Am I right? Oh,
2: it was a video. It was a full-on it was a recording from their podcast. <laughs> how I Oh, is it was a recording on a podcast. Yeah, How 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 uh, how ironic is that
1: uh it's just the old man yells at cloud it's hilarious because
2: it do you know if, if you guys know who network is or jason Concepcion? like he was um part of the athletic and the ringer or not the athletic the ringer and um before that i think he was with Grantland. um he did like the all caps nba or nba desktop stuff he actually did a parody with jason gallagher on that exact one and he's and he was talking about what are these fans talking about like sitting in their mom's basements like if you have if you've never been in a locker room where a dude sweats on you or Rob Polinka grabs you by the throat <laughs> like you're not a real journalist and then Jason Gallagher says this one line about like yeah we really shouldn't be letting fans into stadiums <laughs> like we we should just <laughs> not let fans enter games or watch games um they should just go by oh, the analysis of what all of these journalists say and his killer one was at the end, was the one that got me just laughing. And granted, it this is not gonna this is gonna upset a few people, but his joke was like maybe COVID just didn't do enough. Like you know we just needed to do more with COVID before letting in the fans. Um. uh but man, it was
1: just
2: <laughs> it was just such it was such a good bit. I highly recommend you go watch it. It's on it's on uh, network's uh, Twitter handle or Twitter page. So. Yeah, definitely go watch that. Watch the original first, and then go watch Jason's. You could probably search on my uh, uh, Twitter timeline and find it too, because I quote tweeted it. But yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, it sounds a lot like the people whose main argument for not wanting the student debt relief was because they had to pay their student debt themselves. That's, yeah,
2: that, that's right. hard stop. That's the best analogy I can make
1: i went through it so you should have to go through it too yep. i got haze so you should have you should be haze too <laughs> all beautiful ideas why right? yeah of course why not make way to stand better? on way to stand on the side of history with the people that supported hazing <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, anyways i digress we're not we're not totally here to start a, a podcast battle of clips and Lord knows I'm not on Twitter, so y'all can't really hit me with them shots anyways. <laughs> but we're going to transition this over to the Washington game, which by the way, I will say once again, standing on my soapbox, which has just gotten smaller and smaller this season it has been great. <laughs> I had like a nice big size soapbox and then it's just shrinking and shrinking. Yeah, you had, like, now a, it's like this. Yeah. You had this like big t- Yeti icebox and then you, <laughs> the one that has the wheels on it.
2: And then now yes. you're, you're pretty much on any of those cardboard boxes that they hand you at Costco. <laughs>
1: like that's... Yeah. And you just don't know when it's going to yeah, collapse, but know. it's going to collapse. It's getting I'm wet. some sort you of can feel it wobbling. It's, it's getting, but I'll be on my soapbox. So as I'm doing this tightrope back, the scene for game day, which, cause I do want to give you the oh, same yes, chances, please. is We had the alumni tailgate for our fraternity. Where I got to see some of my—I mean, I've seen. Luckily, stayed in really good touch with most of these guys, but it was just great. Like the founding members of the house and a lot of a lot of like friends that we made over the years came back, and it was just a great environment. It was so nice to have them for the game. Honestly, we're really we weren't really talking football all that much. Yeah, because of this. State of the Colorado loss and <laughs> what that meant, but just sort of like to get everybody, you know pre-game, some people went to the game after, some people didn't. like it was a win before the game even started. And like that's what's so great about it yep. is I think uh, was it um Desmond Howard said that the tailgates was the best part of his job. Yeah, recently. I think he said that in the last few days. He said being able to go on campus, and tailgate was the best part of his job not the football game not being a media member ironically (laughs) not having a podcast but like those moments and i really do stand behind that and so i kind of want to get your perspective as someone that was not at the game yeah but also because cal is very present at your event anyways
2: yeah so uh well, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but uh, congratulations, Nam and Ali, for uh, tying the knots this past weekend. Let's go! I think most people that are listening to this probably know who Nam is, if you're on Twitter or have read anything about Cal in the last five to eight years. Um, is the la- is the last
1: name Lay? Yep. Yeah. Roll on, you Lays. <laughs> there you go. There it is. That's the
2: best one. Um you know what it, you know what's kind of funny is like the parallels in what you were talking about and what I experienced was exactly the same It it was we it was less about cal football it was less about that but it was just like faces you hadn't seen in a while um a lot of cal people and for me like we have a group of gaming buddies that we've been like good friends with over the internet for a very long time now A lot of us have seen each other like sporadically, you know, if you visit Chicago, then I've I've seen, I I saw Jack and, you know, Ben lives around here. So I see him all the time and, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, it's a pretty big, and Peter's in that too. There's a pretty big group of, you know, gaming guys, not all Cal guys. um, But it was the largest meetup of that group that we've had ever. So I actually met some of these guys for the very first time actually met some of their significant others and wives for the very first time, which is even weirder because we usually hear them over the voice chat. Um, so like to hear that, hear their voice and be like, oh, so that's, that's what you look like. <laughs> like that's who you are. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was just a lot of fun um, just talking through that and those, and meeting and, you know, seeing like some of the, some of the, some of their kids um their little newborns. Uh Dallas's Dallas's baby girl Gwen is absolutely adorable. She and I had an E.T. moment where we like we did the little finger touch. And it was just so it was adorable to do that with a like a, a one year old, right? Who like can't really use her hands yet. Um so yeah, um it was that was really cool. And then the wedding itself was beautiful. Um Rachel was the officiant, uh, another Cal first person she was amazing um she was probably she arguably might have been the most emotional person throughout the entire ceremony as the officiant so that tells you uh where she was at and how much of a connection she had with the bride and groom um but yeah it, it was that exact same feeling that you were talking about it was just catching up saying hi running inside jokes doing all these things um and then the wedding was great and then we went to spark social for the after party and and hung out there. We got a hold of the TV remote and turned on some football games. We were watching Sonny Dykes' TCU come back um, to win. We were watching the Alabama game before the Cal game. And then I think we watched maybe about the first half of the Cal game before everyone kind of, the night was like, everyone was exhausted. um, So everyone started to head back to the hotel or, or elsewhere, but it was really cool um, just to be able to hang out at a beautiful venue, the SF Botanical Gardens in, at Golden Gate Park, um, and yeah, so that was my version of it. Um and it seems like it kind of went parallel to yours. Yeah.
1: That's what makes it special. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's just being aware of those moments and what they what they can be and what it ends up what it can snowball into is is uh, a lifelong friendship. So, yeah. Those moments are great yeah I don't know uh, I don't know if this
2: will ever see the internet but I do want people to know like Nam wanted to film a post wedding presser so I we recorded it at the wedding uh, where Ali and Ali and Nam sat down as if you know they had just finished a game like you know the coach or player interviews and we just asked them a bunch of questions uh there's a little clip of it on my Twitter page if you guys want to take a look at it I don't know if Nam will ever allow me to post the full thing but um it is. It's. It was really. It was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Did he answer in coach? speak? He d- answered in coach speak. Yeah, he was like, you know, I handled it. No, because <laughs> one of the cool things they did was when they did their vows, they did a coin toss for who goes first and who defers. <laughs> of course, right? Of course. Of course. Um, so yeah, we asked them questions about like, oh, what? What was? We asked Ali like, what was the? What was the, the decision behind deferring? <laughs> You're the coin toss and and so on. Um so yeah, there's there was just hilarious moments in there. So I just want I just want some people to know uh, that we did that because Nam loves those types of bits. So if you want to take a quick peek, you can take a look at my Twitter Twitter page. But uh yeah, that was it. But I know we, you don't really want to talk about the game. So We have a lot of fan questions and takes and stuff. So I figured we'll just run through all of it. And, of course, a lot of those takes and questions and stuff will be about this game. So we go from there. We kind of talk about the game without really talking about the game uh, in our usual format. And hopefully that does it justice. Um, But, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. It was just I watched the game through through TV and, like, slightly inebriated – And then watch the second half at home with a blanket over my entire body and like slowly melting into the sofa because of exhaustion. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I can't really speak to the game as a whole either. Uh, So we figured this would be the best way to handle this this week's podcast. So you ready, Andy?
1: Yeah, I'm ready. Just for the record, I was there the entire time. Yeah, Andy, Andy miserably (laughs) in the cold, was there at how cold was it? At Memorial. It was freezing. Yeah, it was cold. It's like fifty four, felt like fifty two. So it was it was definitely chilly. And our group was like fourteen deep when we showed up. And then after Washington scored that last touchdown, everyone left. I mean, at first it was like a couple people left right yeah. after the half. Then everyone left after that and I was like, No, we're staying. Yeah. And we almost
2: made the comeback.
1: Oh yeah totally worth it although my friend was pissing me because he had to drive back sacramento shout out to to fong but he was not thrilled uh and he's like i'll never do that again i was like well that's what you get because (laughs) you let me put my scooter in your car and that means you got to stay for the whole game
2: (laughs) that's exactly what happened last time too i wanted to leave early (laughs) andy left his scooter in in the car so i had to stay the entire
1: duration great excuse (laughs) works again might even try it again oh next week. <laughs> oh, my God. You bastard.
2: All right. All right. Here we go. Let's let's run through this. All right. So so our dear friend Shavit sends this in. Could you all discuss why you think defense has been so bad to mediocre this season statistically? And he quote tweeted us this uh, tweet from Tom Fornelli on October 23rd. It's defensive EPA. Um, so it's the – yeah, it's just the efficiencies, right? So passing and rushing – Callus sits basically at maybe like 0.02 on rushing and then like minus like 0 point actually they they sit at like 0.01 on on rushing and a negative 0.02ish on passings passing purse. Def- defensive yeah.
1: e- efficiency per snap. I mean, as as with any two by two, you want to be as far up and to the right as possible yeah. most of the time. Yeah, uh, I can't I can't say I've seen one that I think I do remember seeing a different type of setup where that wasn't always the case. But in this in this case, that's where you want to be. Um, so we're surrounded by Notre Dame. Uh, Ole Miss feels generous because they're in a much better, but, you know, yeah. similar area. Oregon State. Maryland slightly worse. State,
2: Virginia Tech, slightly better.
1: Um, TCU, be OSU's and, close. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that's so funny about this is like I don't necessarily know if watching the defense if I would have been like all that critical of them. Like, you know, so bad to mediocre, I think... Are you talking is... about this game
2: specifically, or are you talking about the defense as a whole this season?
1: Defense as a whole. Okay. I. Yeah, I mean, this game, obviously, I think is... Like, we were better than most of the conference and most of Washington's opponents so far in regards to what we ended up holding them to. It's It's hard for me, because if you told me that we had a offense that wasn't like we go three and out with such high frequency, you're forcing the defense to be on the field, in my opinion, a lot. Yeah. And then there's other people that come from the train of thought of, well, Wilcox is a low possession or you know, when we have the the ball, we try to have possession for a long time. I, I don't know. Like to me, I from the eye test, right, which is always, you know, half the story or not if you know not even half the story but you know part of the equation I wouldn't actually say that our defense has been mediocre to bad I'd say on the whole the defense feels good the D line is obviously problematic I think it's one of the worst if not the worst in college football generating pressure that sounds about on brand and that's been the the concern like linebacker play wise like Personally, I felt like Sermon has played great in regards to, Like I me. Mean, he has a tremendous amount of tackles. He's made some big plays, that pick against Colorado. Um, and then Femi, I thought, was playing really well. ISF has come in, and while I don't think he looked as good as Femi once did, he certainly has impressed me. And then you look at the DBs, and like outside of just like losing a lot of random one-on-ones in the Colorado game. <laughs> uh, I feel like the DBs have been, they've, they've made mistakes, but they've been, you know, it isn't something where I'm upset about it. And that's the funny thing, because then if you look at the actual statistics, you know, the defense is more, it's definitely more mediocre than it is good, I'd say. It's more middle of the pack than it is top. Mm-hmm. But there was a point in time when we had a top 25 defense this season. I think it was like in the first three games or something yeah so i don't know i i just don't know how much we can judge the defense based on how shitty the offense is
2: yeah i so here's the thing i think i would need peter's help on this to figure this out like because i don't know what exactly the formula is for a lot of these a lot of these advanced statistics right um Two things are true. First off is we bleed a lot of yards. That's it that's just it's a tr- that's a true fact. But the second thing that goes along with that is despite the yards we give up, we hold op- opposing opposing offenses to pretty low scores. Like in rel- in relation to how many yards we give up. Right? It's the total it feels very much like Tedford's best uh bend not break defense. Or we'll we'll bend 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 and then they'll get like a you know a field goal off, bend 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 they'll get a field goal off. Maybe once in a while they'll break one and they'll they'll get the touchdown. But all in all, you're holding them the three points, or you know you'll give them maybe like twenty five yards and then they punt, right? Because I the defense does feel like they need that first down stop, whether it's a negative play in the backfield, whether it's only two or three yards. And then they start to get aggressive on second and third down. In those cases, of course, this is also just my eye test, right? From that point is when they when they start to attack. So they play conservative usually if it's in a down where they know that they're most likely going to have to give up the first down. You know, like you know, on a third and two, they're usually not aggressive on like a third and two play, which frust- frustrates the hell out of me. But I get what they're doing because of the deficiencies in. Um, what the defensive line can produce. And the production's not there, so you have to be able to you're you're just resetting for the first down. That hasn't bit us in the ass yet this season. There hasn't been a drive where we're like, "All right, let's just reset for the first down. All right, let's reset for the first down. All right, let's reset for the first down." And oh my gosh, they're they're on they're on the two yard line is for single. Like that hasn't happened to us yet. There have been a couple of ones where we give up a big play and such, but, like, meth- methodically, like, them getting all the way down the field really hasn't happened yet against us this season. So that's why I think some of the advanced analytics might be a little skewed. Once again, I would need to talk to Peter about this to look at what the formulas and what goes into some of those advanced analytics, um, like, numbers are and where they come from. But that's just from my eye test where... Uh, it's like – I wouldn't say they're bad either. I'd say they're mediocre or they're just like average. But like we've seen so much elite defenses here under Wilcox that that's the bar set for us now. That that's like – that's that's where our relative like measure of performances come from. Like that's what we expect to see out of these defenses. But like you have to give them some slack too, because look, we're—I was breaking it down with some of the writers in our Discord channel over the last week, and it's like we've lost—we lost four out of four of our potential like top defensive linemen, right? Like we lost Stanley for the season because um, he's just taking a break from football; he's taking personal time. Brett Johnson gone. Derek Wilkins gone. Achilles Calhoun gone. Right? Like we lost four guys off the top one of those guys we knew wasn't going to be there this season early on the other three guys we basically lost starting the first week of the season so the entire rotation and everything that we've been building towards that entire month of august in terms of fall camp and what i saw out the door just yeah. gone and now they have to reset and figure out this line and build up these young guys like kudos to the kudos to Aunt, um to coach Brownie, man like Nate Burrell actually looks like a really good football player. He's a true freshman, is the starting role now, and was thrust in there because all of these guys got hurt. And it wasn't great his first, like, couple go-arounds, but now he's the starter, like, cemented at the two deep. So.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: That's why I mean, like, Lou hasn't played really well, and he's been hurt the last two games. Um, the The linebacker rotation at inside linebacker has been I I'm perplexed. <laughs> like, we know Jackson Sherman is the other guy, but like, it's taken us this long to figure out who the best partner to him is. Like, it's it's mind boggling, and then you like. And then you move Femi from inside to outside, right? And then at the presser a couple weeks ago, they they asked him why the move what the move was for, and they said it was for it was a future move. Like they had already planned him to be moved outside at a certain point. For me, okay, that raises a bunch of flags because I'm like, well, then why was he taking all, all of those inside linebacker snaps all throughout fall camp if you were going to move him midseason to outside linebacker to why would you drop him like if he's not playing well cuz he didn't play a single snap last week and then three move him back to inside linebacker and have him in the rotation there and then now if you look at the depth chart for Oregon there's four guys opposite of Jackson Sherman that have an or next to their name <laughs> so we don't know who's we don't know who the starter is nor will we know what the 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 rotation is going to be I mean don't even get me started with the ISF a play where he kind of I don't know if he thought the play was dead or whatever but you know that touchdown pass down the sideline he just kind of stopped running and then yeah that was a touchdown for the wide receiver so like I i honestly don't know I honestly don't know some of the reasoning for these personnel decisions um, the
1: tea leaves for me on the Femi stuff was very clear you know based on the press conferences yeah I heard, you know, those answers are usually he fucked up. That's it. Yep. Like those are the that those are the answers that a coach gives. And Sermon did it, and Wilcox did it. Great young man, you know, plays good football for us when he's, you know, got his head in the right place or something like that. Like, and then it was like, but it was beyond that. It was like there was two very specific quotes that was like, okay, something happened. They're you know, like, we believe a lot in Femi and his ability and, you know, when he, and then something along the lines of, like, when he's out there and, aka, he messed up. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, and I don't, I don't know, like, maybe you look at it the way that, like, the Dodgers are looking at Mookie Betts and, like, they're like, hey, can you play second so we can bring in Judge? Like, maybe, all right, we're going to have Femi start off in the inside linebacker spot. We know that we got Mo Iosefa coming back, who looked really good uh, last season, but he's out due to once again like you know, some some extracurricular stuff that wasn't you know up to par, and then maybe that's why, right? Yep. It's like maybe that was your plan all along. Like Wilcox plays things close to the chest. Just watching Dark Knight, they played a lot of things close to the chest. <laughs> Lieutenant Gordon plays it close to the chest. Batman plays, it goes to the chest. No. Lucius Fox has his faith restored. <laughs> uh, bet you weren't ready for that one, Ron. I was not so, expecting you
2: to pull a Dark Knight reference. <laughs> not in not, not that wasn't, yeah.
1: It's my number one favorite movie of all time, and I was talking with Diana tonight, and we were having like a deep conversation. I was like, "Let me play you a clip from The Dark Knight <laughs> to, em- to emphasize what I think is happening." It was just, I was like advising her on some stuff and so i literally found the movie i own it turned it on went to the point where it was it ended up being like a six second clip she's like really that was it i was like yeah it wasn't didn't quite didn't quite no yeah, <laughs> hit yeah. the way i thought it would and then i was like well i don't care i'm just gonna watch this whole movie anyways but anyways i mean like i don't know man. I, look, The statistics say that this defense is mediocre. The eye test for me says that our DBs are, once again, foundational. Like, we're returning everyone besides D. Scott. And Woody. And Woody. And Woody. Like, we have depth there. The D line is just such a problem. I think that's an open question. Why hasn't Wilcox and this defensive staff been able to bring in somebody besides Brett Johnson on the defensive line that – can be a game changer. And I will say Xavier Carlton paired with Brett Johnson this year would have been a pretty fire combination. That would have looked yeah. good. Xavier Carlton has been good. Yeah, I don't, people were dogging him. I'm like, what? I don't, I just, you and I are watching different things. But overall, it's like, I just don't know. Like it's not, you know, the Colorado game. Okay. So when we look at the overall statistics, Does overtime count against us? Does the fact that, like, (laughs) does that game should have been put out of reach? Like, there's just so many different things here that, like, I don't know. I don't want to sound like John Smoltz on the broadcast because, (laughs) like, damn, that guy hates advanced stats. Holy goodness. He hates them. But he had some good points at times, too. He's, like, about the third time through the rotation, right? This is the mantra of, oh, it's the third time through the rotation. And he's like, well, if you're a good pitcher, you're going to hold stuff back. That they haven't seen, so that the third time through the rotation, they're still seeing stuff that they haven't seen. Yep. And it's like, how? But a, probably a, a, a stats, someone that's more in the analytics side, would come in and say, it's about on average, right? And on average, the third time through the rotation is the, the pitchers perform worse on average the third time through the rotate or third time through the lineup um, than. The first two. right? And so it's like, his point is valid, but the data suggests this. And it's like, how do you marry those two things? And that's kind of what I see on the defensive side. It's like, a lot of people, like, one, the defense over the last six to eight weeks of last season was exceptionally good. Yep. And I, I feel like we've had this perception of Sermon as someone that we've just doubted from the beginning because of his days at Louisville when he wasn't that successful and like didn't and the people have been kind of doubting that being like oh we want to bring tdr dude tdr didn't even have that good of a defense at oregon it's true like he went up to that oregon season and i was like damn i miss a or defense and then he went up and had like a pretty okay season and then obviously crystal left and now he's where texas tech dude like that move didn't pay off d coordinator of texas tech i bet tdr wishes he's probably still a Cal. Yeah. Maybe not. (laughs) Who knows? We don't know. But I don't know. So anyways, like I just – I think it's a really good question, but I just sort of look at it and say like the defense didn't lose us this football game on Saturday. There were plays in which they could have played better. There were mistakes that we could actually point to. But like we got dominated on time of possession – and because because of the fact that we were just handing the ball right back. We're handing the ball right back. Yes, we struggle on the defensive line. We give up run like running yardage. And like to your point, Rob, we're doing the bend not break. Ultimately, I think that's how we have to sustain ourselves. And I'll tell you what's gonna happen, I guarantee it. Because of the fact that we've come out and been, you know, strongly saying some points about like the defense isn't that bad, we'll probably give up forty points to Oregon. <laughs> I have written off this loss, like We'll probably just get blown the hell out and everyone. I mean, that's how the season's gone, right? I've been like, oh, this team's not that bad. And it's like, oh, you lose to Colorado. I was like, oh, okay. I like, so I guarantee it, we're going to just get whooped by Oregon, and then everyone's going to be like, yeah, see, this is the curse of the BearCast right now. <laughs> I still stand by my point
2: that we're going to beat one of UW, Oregon, SC, and LA. I, I still
1: stand I, by it. I don't know.
2: One of. Didn't say all. I hope so. Didn't say more than one. One of. And we almost had a shot to do it this past weekend.
1: I mean, that's the thing, dude. It's like defense keeps you in the game. And I like a lot of people, yeah. Like a lot of people are like, oh, defense, defense. Dude, the defense came up with the plays when it mattered, right? Yeah. Washington got the ball. We were down by a touchdown. We got the ball back. And I think we had like four minutes left to go. This is my memory now. So this will be a little bit off because I didn't actually rewatch the game, but like. We got the ball back. What did we do in that possession? We advanced the ball. Zero yards. Yep. Zero. Yep. We turned it right back over to Washington because we had to punt because we were so embarrassing on offense that we couldn't even go for it on fourth down with the game on the line. We had to punt the damn ball away, which is like the second time I've seen us do that this season. We've had to punt the ball with the game on the line. We've surrendered punt punted twice. And then our defense has gone back out in that situation, held them again, and gave us the ball to then tie the game. And what did we do? We dropped a pass on the sideline. But really, that wasn't the issue. The issue is when your defense like Washington is giving you the middle with a minute four left on the clock, and we had two timeouts left, and we didn't take it at all. We went sideline like we were playing in the freaking NFL, dude. It made—I was like, why are we going for sideline throws right now? It made no sense to me. Yeah. Take the yards the defense is giving you. You know they're, they're going to play off of you. It's a seven-point lead. Like, it just made no sense. We are playing like—we called offensive plays as if we were down by three, not like we were down by seven. And it was so frustrating to me, and so that's like why you know that's what obviously like y'all can tell. I was just pissed, dude. Like that's why I don't want to talk about this game. Like it's so frustrating for me to watch this offense, and like what we do and how we do it and how ineffective we are. Yeah. At that, the first half was abysmal. Like abysmal. We cannot, you know, and we try to rec- we recover and like. And end up having a good second. But, like, you just can't, man. Like, you can't do that against Washington. And you're not going to be able to get away with it against Oregon. And you're certainly not going to be able to get away with it against against SC.
2: Yeah, I mean, Rod Gilmore, who I don't think any Cal fan really likes. but uh, Can't stand him. Yeah. Can't stand him. But he did say something interesting on the broadcast, which I didn't really notice until then, was like, The reason we were making that comeback was because the short passing game was working, right? We had our two timeouts. We didn't go to the short passing game. We we kept trying to go for those 10, 15-yard outside throws instead of of taking what they were giving us, which is what you saw, which was all over the middle. Just run the quick slants and get your seven yards and keep moving the chains. That stops the clock. And you just keep forcing them to have to adjust to you instead of you trying to throw a deep bomb over a basically
1: a prevent defense like exactly exactly like you're throwing to the one area that they're actually trying to defend which is the sideline yeah. they're giving you the middle and it's college football like that's the up uh, that's exactly right i walked out of that damn stadium i was like dude we're playing college football we had a minute of 4 left on the clock. We might even have had more time than that. I just distinctly remember a minute 4. So like but there could have been more and you have that over the middle. Like how did we get down the field in the Colorado game? We did it over the middle because Colorado went into like a prevent defense.
2: Yep. I mean, like just to cement some points home about this whole bend not breaking thing, right? And I think that's why people think this off this defense is worse than it actually is. I'm not saying that it's actually a good, like a really good defense. I'm just saying the line is probably a mediocre, but a lot of people think that it's worse. The Washington Huskies average 40.4 points per game, they average 379 yard passing yards per game and 128 rushing yards per game. How many points did we give up against UW? 28. 28. So two scores less. Two scores less. Than what they usually score despite them passing for 374 yards and rushing for 102 they basically hit their averages in yards but the defense held at the most at the crucial points in the game because they i mean look we all want defenses to shut out opposing offenses but if you had to pick another way for a defense to play this is it they can take all the yards they want they're not going to get to the score that they usually get to to run us out of that field. And that's exactly right. I what think, they
1: did. I think we executed the underdog script really well. Yeah. I think that's like what Wilcox said. Like he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't usually come, like he didn't come in and be like, he's like, dude, look, yeah, these guys gave everything they had. Yeah. Defense was good. And so, like, I think the game went, it we were 14 14 going into the fourth. Yeah. And I made sure everybody knew it. We were 14-14. Did we deserve to have it 14-14? No. Hell no. <laughs> My goodness. But that's what underdogs do. That's what you do. Like, we've seen people that can do that with us. And it's super frustrating. But we also, as you said last week, we do that to others. Yep. And we can come in. And, like, I think they executed that that pretty well. Yep. Like, 20 points. And what did I I was trying to say. Like, we get 31 I thought we could win this week, and uh, but there's just no chance. Yeah, there's no way with this offense. It's just it's too hamstrung by too many different things. Like the one thing, if you had a battle line, but you have play calls that don't make any sense with the battle line, and you know it's like uh, we we've had some pretty poorly timed drops that have made huge differences in the outcomes of football games, and. Uh, and I'm not even talking about, I actually am talking about the Christakos drop on that slant that I'm hundred percent positive was going for a touchdown against Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> like that one, I just think about that one all the time, but I mean, we saw the same thing. Like we saw the same thing on the slant with, um, people said it was behind him, but J Mike dropped a slant yep. in the red zone. All right.
2: Next question. Next question. Yeah. Next
1: question. Um,
2: God, it's just a statement game from Sid. Uh, un- upset is an understatement. This game was winnable, and that's what hurts the most. But no matter what happens, I'll always be in the stands cheering for especially for this week's game. What are the key things Cal needs to do to win against the Ducks?
1: I know this game means a lot to Sid. Yeah. And <laughs> and I also think we need more Sids in the world. Marshawn said it. So. Oh God. I know that I know that Marshawn said, if you take what Marshawn said and you synthesize it and distill it down, what he's basically saying is we need more Sids in the world. The world would be a better place with more Sids. Right there, you go. That's what Marshawn was saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what he, he was trying to say mode.
2: that's what he was trying to say without the <laughs> profanities
1: the I don't think we're winning this game <laughs> <laughs> like, and I had this pegged as a win in my preseason's prediction oh. and I am running away with my tail between my legs being like nope don't see it don't know don't think it's
0: happening <laughs> oh.
1: this is like a I don't even know where to begin. Bo Nix looks great. The Oregon running attack is solid. The uh Oregon defense is great. Like this this is a bad matchup, folks. This might be one to skip. I'm <laughs> just going to say that. The
2: the only way I think not the only way, but like the one that probably makes the most sense here in like how we win is that Bo Nix becomes, like, the meme Bo Nix that we witnessed at Auburn.
1: Turnover, Bo Nix. Yeah,
2: that's, that's like, he just, whether he gets too confident, whether he doesn't make his reads right, or whether, you know, we start to mask some, like, DB disguises a bit more. I don't know what it is, or whatever we do. But whatever we do, something just, like, doesn't work for Bo Nix, and he just turns the ball over and over and over. Like... We basically need that Georgia game to happen in terms of performance from him, which I don't think is likely with the way he's playing right now at all. But we've seen him play like that, and that's probably the easiest way for us to kind of pull off this upset.
1: You know, I think that's the one thing I would think about with the defense is like, that's why I miss GA so much. I think the takers were a little bit more adept at like running those deceptions yeah and uh and and, like just really able to like kind of deacon offense into making that mistake yeah and i I feel like we do that a little bit less than i remember yeah um, i I mean ga was involved i mean the other side of that
2: of that argument is that yeah we had three guys on that or four guys there that are in the nfl so that probably helps like i don't know how many of these guys are gonna make it to the nfl maybe all of them do um but just looking back at it it's like they were hitting their stride like the year before they went to the nfl and are now like playing rotation so that's like the (laughs) it's a big gap (laughs) i feel like d scott has got to be yeah 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 uh he might not be day one but yeah i could he's he's definitely he's definitely nfl bound in my opinion um, Alright we got some other ones here We move on to uh, Avi's question If you could do one thing to improve the Cal game day experience That would get fans back to Memorial What would it be and why There's 12 people that replied to that tweet And I know what most of these answers say But I'm just going to not say it And just go off of what we think
1: huh. Okay, I've been thinking about this one a lot And I think like One of the first things that I would do Is like I think you need to look at this from what's a sustainable way to get fans back into the building right you can't look at it as like a one-time a one-time thing and you can't look at it with like an unrealistic like let's give away tickets to everybody for free and i personally think that you have to understand two things like i think you need to understand familial households yep one I would lower the cost of the ticket down. I feel like Cal's starting price at $30, like it's like 28 or something like that. It's a little high for me. I think that, um, and, and but really my main area that I would focus on is building local relationships with schools. Right. Schools with football teams. And then trying to drive at not male parents. I would trying to drive at mom's. Moms are the key here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when it comes to the decision making, it, at the end of the day, I think that the decision for the household and the decision a lot of the decisions that get made either are approved by or are founded by, you know, uh, the mom. However that you know, may be. And I think that, you know, I just think that from a marketing perspective, you have to build the relationships locally. Like, there's no reason why we shouldn't be having all of the local high schools at least attend one of the football games on some sort of special group rate. And maybe we do that, but like, I just, I haven't seen it. Like local high school football team
2: day, kind of like how uh, the
1: women's basketball team does that
2: like schoolhouse rock game. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that to me would be it, it because it creates and you also like you have to create the game day environment for people to want to come back to it. So that doesn't just mean like getting them tickets to the game. That means making sure that you're putting on events at Maxwell Field, you know, or you're putting on events, you know, strategically on campus that they can attend. That is providing value. Yeah. And I think that when we went to Notre Dame, what did we see everywhere? It was like, there was a million different events that they had on campus where it was like one place we walked, remember the first place we walked by? It was like very fancy, sit down meals underneath a tent with like classical music playing, at least, or maybe that was in my head. I think think that was in your head. I think it was more like jazz playing, but yeah. Point stands. But, you know, so why isn't there that on the Glade? Yeah. Right? Like, leveraging what you have, which is this beautiful campus to create experiences that people will want to come back to what you and I talk about week over week often about what was special about going out to the game has very little to do with the game itself and much more to do with the environment and the people. Absolutely. So those, that's my building local relationships. You win locally Making sure that you have once you have that audience, you have to find a way to activate that audience once they're on campus, and then uh, figuring out a way for them to attend multiple games over time. Like that would be, yeah, that would be a couple of my ideas.
2: Yeah, I think the I think the family one is definitely a, a big one. I think uh, you know when when they used to do the Pat Laird like reading challenge, like I and Mike Saffle did it for a little bit. Or Safel did it for a little bit. Like that was a huge part of a lot of kids coming out because they earned those free tickets, you know, uh, via their reading over the summer. Something like that. I think you know, putting in some family packages. Like was it the A's or who does this? Or was it my Angels that do this? It's like a hundred bucks, four tickets, four dogs, four four drinks. The A's.
1: It's the yeah. A's. I think
2: the Angels have a, a package like that too. I just think you remember seeing it like on the on the billboard behind the batter. Um, but, yeah, it's, so do, do things like that. And then, of course, reach out to local communities here, local high schools, local middle schools, local elementary schools. Um, I do think, like, not free tickets, but, you know, if you can set that up as you're talking about, maybe giving away tickets, you know, for one game for all of those kids to come and attend with their families, then that, in turn, potentially makes them want to come back. Like, if the kids have a good experience and the parents, like, have it, uh, have a fun time on the day out, they're going to want to come back. Regardless of if the game is, like, good or bad or whatnot. It's, as we're talking about, right, it's the experience of, of the game and, and the atmosphere and and just the experience itself of the whole day. So, yeah.
1: And the college environment is so fun. Yeah. I mean, it's just you have all of these chants. And, you know, the Niners game doesn't really have that. No. You have, like, a first down chant. I mean, you don't really have, like any of these traditions that make it super special and stand out into, I mean, I remember going to games growing up and, you know, just being infatuated with just like the idea of even being on the field, like seeing Oski and like how much that mattered. And, um, you know, just being able to see the stadium. And I, I just think that there's a way of, of building out relationships and building excitement. There's nothing competing with us anymore. That's the thing. It's like to see it as empty as it was. I'm with, with Marshawn. It's like, dude, there's nothing competing with you at seven 30 on a Saturday night in like late fall. Yeah. There was no warriors game to my knowledge. I'm pretty sure they played the next day. Cause I watched that like there's no warriors game. There's no Raiders game the next day. There's a Niners game that's in the South Bay, so that doesn't count. And no one's going to No Stanford Giants. Games. There's no A's game. No one goes to Stanford games. <laughs> but I mean, Stanford's the same thing. It's like Stanford needs to do a better job of like bringing up people locally. There's no reason why that stadium shouldn't be full. They have a great game day experience. I don't say anything nice about Stanford. That's the only thing I say. Yeah. <laughs> Their game day experience is really fun. Yeah. Um, so I think Cal, but I, I think that's also the other thing is like You know, California sports in general struggle with this. The Giants struggle with this. The, you know, there's, I don't know how the Angels are, Rob, you'd have to tell me, but like all of these different sports teams struggle with the same same thing. The Giants had already won over 100 games, were in a neck and neck race with the Dodgers last year and had a series against San Diego that averaged 25,000 fans in the stands. So all the people that are pointing to win-loss record as the reason why fans aren't showing up, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it because we have the inverse when we go to Notre Dame and see it. And we see also uh, at Colorado, two teams that had no wins show up with a sold-out stadium. So I don't buy it there. And I don't buy it because I've seen the successful teams in the Bay, like the Giants, having a historic season against one of their direct rivals, also struggle to fill those uh, those seats and the giants have dynamic pricing. So like for us when we're having that alumni game, not everybody came to the game because there's not a reasonable way to get tickets. It's like $30 after fees you know to get tickets. It's like, dude, those I'm so sorry. Like those should be ten, 10 bucks. It should be dynamic. Washington, fine, maybe $15 because it's ESPN, but like it really like it just it's overpriced. In in my eyes, and so I think you need to like, maybe you could justify like a small hit on overall ticket sales revenue, but then if you're putting like five thousand more people in the stands, it's gonna just look way better. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's better for the TV on the zoom out shots and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, you're you're hoping that the investment from that perspective pays off. Like you know the the example that I'll give is like you know UCLA went away from their Under Armour deal, right? But the reason they did it so quickly was and took less money is because they had the opportunity to sign with Jordan Brand. And they signed with Jordan Brand on a lesser deal, right? Shorter term deal with less money. But one of the reasons they did do that was they thought that that could potentially pay off in sales of merchandise because it's Jordan Brand and recruiting because it's Jordan Brand that's the investment that they're making. They're 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 calculating, look, that could be a loss from a financial standpoint, but from the long term, this could be beneficial for us. And they're willing to yeah. make that sacrifice. And I think that's that's kind of where the athletic department has to go is being like, "Look, I know we're bleeding money every year, like we're finally like getting into the green, but let's think about where we can maybe lose a little bit of money, not a lot." for the off chance that it'll pay off in two, three years time.
1: Yeah. I, I'll, yeah, I I mean, I agree with that. You would basically take a modern, you can take a modern like subscription style approach to it. Like get, get them in the door, get them signed up and then have the long stream, you know, follow up ready to go. Yeah, It's like, great. Okay. You bought one of these tickets. I have your email or I have your contact information. Um, You know, thank you so much for showing up as a token of our appreciation for showing up to the game. We want to offer you two additional tickets that come with, you know, two concessions for $30 to any future game. Right. So then, okay, now I'm building a pattern. All right. I've come out to two games. And then you then you're arming your season ticket. That's what I worked. That's like where I started my career. Then you arm them to come in and what we would do with the fire is like, okay, great. You came out to two games last year, but you came out with four people. If you're a season ticket holder, what you could do with the Chicago fire is you could get two tickets to every single game, but then allocate them to specific games. So you could basically show up to two games each year. Um, with, let's say like, I, I, I can't do the math off the top of my head, but let's say you wanted to go to the yeah, team. Yeah. So you, could, two with six yeah people. you could
2: save your tickets and then reuse them all together for a different game. Like the A's at one. A's did that for a little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting idea. But what you, And then what you can do there is, okay, now that I have you as a season ticket holder, and even if you're only showing up to two games, okay, now I get you your Cal swag. Now I get to send you out you know, a little exclusive bumper sticker. Now I get to build the customer yeah. success side of it where it's like, okay, I'm going to make sure that we're going to be able to renew you because, hey, this financially... Makes sense. There's a value proposition from a financial standpoint that makes sense. And now I'm just going to over deliver on the value of the experience. And like, that's ultimately where you can build a fan base from is like getting to that model. Uh, versus, like, yeah, like everyone on the boards this week is like, we should let everybody in for free. Well, it's like, okay, great, yeah. Then the person next to you that paid forty-five dollars for their tickets, or worse yet, invested fifty thousand dollars for their super nice seats with their seat backs, or I look over and be like, well, this seems like a stupid investment because Bilbo and Bob over here to my left are sitting here for free, and I'm over here investing like you know a significant amount. So you just you don't want to have that relationship to to your major you just don't want to i mean it's kind of like what we talked about before like yes in theory it makes sense it would be great but like you don't want to alienate alienate one part of your audience particularly the one that's actually willing to put a significant investment into the program couldn't have said it better myself that's
2: the sales pitch from andy johnston um all right we got a bunch more here so let's let's kind of power through these all right if you feel like it's a quick answer, Andy, just give me the one liner or two liner question and our answer, and we'll just move on. All right. We got one here. Popcorn? Popcorn stuff? Yeah, yeah. We got one here from N Kicker. Um. We know that Musgrave and McClure need to be replaced, but what are your thoughts on Burl Toller, Aristotle Thompson, and Cheap Chris? Keep them or move on. Thanks and go Bears. I kinda like AT. What do you think? Mine would be keep keep move on. So keep Toller, keep Thompson, move on Jeep.
1: Yeah, I like Toller. Yeah.
2: I think you need to have a cal guy on the staff. I honestly do. One of the assistants does need to be a cal guy um because as much as like they have the the player liaisons that tell you like you know what it was like to play at the school and go to school here. Um I think you need not just, like, someone in the office, but, like, an actual assistant coach that can go out to any recruiting meeting or, like, any recruit can call up and be like, hey, coach, like, what was it like playing here? Like, what was what was that experience like and, and so on? I think uh, I think you definitely want that on your roster. So yeah, unless we're replacing him with someone else that has – that's a Cal guy, like, I would just – for continuity's sake, for recruiting, because he's, you know, J. Mike and Hunter and Maven and those guys, like, yeah.
1: Yeah, like, I can't... From a recruiting standpoint, Toller checks all the boxes. From a coaching standpoint, I feel like receivers have showed a lot of promise. My one critique would be just, like, outside blocking. Yeah. Like, screen blocking is so... We're so bad at it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But, uh, I I mean, besides that, I will say, like, we need to find a way to get GA back. That's very interesting. But we can save that. We can save that that. for another podcast. But we need to find a way. I mean, he's he has no job right now like we need to get him back in um I have one from sg bear here our
2: dear friend who was on uh, bus number two with us sG bear this is a very good question i want to kind of save it for later so i'm gonna save i'm gonna save that one sG bear um so yeah just know that i'm gonna answer that in a, in a later question um ryan foster asks us uh basically the same question that shavit asked us Advanced stats seem to always hate the Bears, and this year they finally cut up to us. But why do the advanced stats still hate the defense? And is that side of the ball due for a regression soon with the opponents left on our schedule? I think we answered that question. Um, We move on. Uh, Kevin asks uh, If you're able to get any inside information about how the administration of the 80s team view the set of solutions for our program, that would be fascinating. We do not.
1: Have any inside information (laughs) on that. Um so we move on. Grant actually I'm working on that. I'm working on working on it. Um Yeah, I think if I keep donating while we're on the air in moments of frustration, then uh eventually I'll get to the point where I get invited to enough donor things where I can start to build that relationship. So seventy five dollars at a time. (laughs) (laughs) We're slowly getting there, brick by brick, brick by brick. Um
2: we got some other fun questions from Grant. I actually, of course, same with SG Bear, want to save this for a later time. He's like, who's the greatest number two receiver in Cal football history? Who are Cal's top three Heisman contenders if you only consider their special teams contributions? And if you'd redid Oski's outfit today, what would it look like? So I'm gonna leave that for a later date. I think those are
1: those are some solid ones. I have all my answers. All right, I'm just to say them real fast. Robert Jordan, Will Cap, and a tuxedo. <laughs> a tuxedo. All right.
2: All right. Um, the last one here is from Joe Kenyon. Do you believe that we would feel differently about Musgrave if we had Oregon's own line? What do you think our record would be right now? For rec for for uh, just for everyone's reference, Oregon has given up one sack this season.
1: I think you have to look at it. Is it ta- is the is it talent? Do you believe the issue is talent, or do you believe the issue is coaching? Yeah. I think. The Musgrave offense would work. You'd see it be more effective at the end of the day.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. It would work better than what we are seeing today. Yeah. Nothing could be as bad as what the O-line has done so far. So, I mean, I I, what I actually think you would see is you would see a way better. Like, you would see what I, I personally think that we see in Jack Plummer. Yeah. Like, I think it would be way more apparent, like, the arm talent that he has if he was able to sit back comfortably in the pocket and make. He, dude, he throws a good deep ball. Like, people just haven't, we haven't been able to showcase it. And uh, advanced stats support that. And.
2: Yeah. uh, But yeah, I don't know, Rob. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, this is a pro style offense. Pro style offenses, more than other offenses, are built on the production of their offensive line because of what they're asked to do. Um, they're asked to do a lot of things in run blocking. They're asked to do a lot of things in pass blocking. And also, like, you know, to have a center who can call out the slides and the, and the blitz pickups because the play sets are so varied. Um, I think, yeah, that's that's what you need. I don't know if that's a real fix if you move Oregon's offense, offensive line here just because... The play style is different. The styles like the plays that they're calling are different. There's heavily skewed to like a power run game with like, you know, spread passing um, concepts. So I don't know if that's a direct one-to-one. Like if you pull them out, do they have the same skill set that you would want them to execute in a pro style offense? So,
1: That's what you want to run though, right? That offense. that style
2: of offense is what I would like to run. So yeah, keep an eye on Oregon's offense here. Um, I this is the style of offense I would. I would. That makes. I think that merges a little bit of what Wilcox wants in terms of time of possession alongside the explosiveness um, that we've been craving for for the last few years. But yeah, that's it. We're good. That's it for everyone. Is that a horn? Beat is that a horns up or horns down? Horns down. It's a rock on, a Rock baby. on, baby. Well, uh, yeah, that wraps it up for us here on the Golden Bear Cast. You can find all our written stuff at Ryford, California. You can find me on Twitter at Rob11HWG. You can find Andy on Twitter, but he won't respond to you, so I'm not going to say his handle. Um, if you found our podcast, you know where to find us. If you want to reach us uh, on Twitter, you can find us at Golden Bear Cast on Twitter. You can also email us at goldenbearcast at gmail.com. We'd love getting your emails. Um, I have access to it and the Twitter as well. So I always screenshot stuff and send it to Andy. And Andy always just heart emojis most everything that I send his way. So just know <laughs> we do see all of it. We read all of it. Um, if we haven't mentioned your email or whatnot, it's not because uh, we don't, we, it's like spammed or filtered. It's just, we've read it and it's just probably, we, we've just forgot about who has written and sent us what. But we do read it. We appreciate it. We love all of our listeners and our opinions. Any else, Andy? It. All right. And that wraps it up for us on the Golden Bear cast. And as always, go Bears.
1: Go Bears.